0: Well, hello. My name is Brendan McLaughlin. Welcome along to Irwood Anglican Online once again. And uh, while this lockdown might be getting a bit weary, one of the things I'm actually enjoying is uh, getting a bit more of an insight into what my kids are learning because of homeschooling. We're all we're all working from home. And uh, this year, our year, thir- our thirteen-year-old was looking at horror stories in English and so one of the the, the assignments was they were given this horror story, the beginning of a horror story, and they needed to write the conclusion. And here's the horror story that my year seven was given. So it's about a, uh, a young babysitter who was babysitting an infant in this big old mansion and while the parents were out for the night and everything was going smoothly for the first hour but then the baby kept waking up screaming and so the babysitter would go upstairs and calm the baby down and put the baby back to sleep and then a few minutes later the baby would wake up screaming again. Well after this happened about three or four times uh, the young girl rings the mother to sort of say look this is what's happening is it normal and the mother says well no it's not normal uh, what's going on is there something unusual is the window open is there is uh, is there something strange in the room and the the little babysitter looks around and she says well no that the window's closed and there's nothing in the room except the cot and the change table and the the chest of drawers and that clown statue in the corner to which the mother says grab the baby and get out we don't own a clown statue now i don't know about you but that year seven story freaked me out Uh, i reckon that's enough to give anyone callrophobia there's your word for the day, choleraphobia. It means a fear of clowns. Uh, now cholerophobia is actually quite a rare condition. The phobia we're looking at today is not so rare. And that is the fear of evangelism. Uh, If we were to do a straw poll of our church, I reckon pretty much everyone would admit to having sort of a certain level of fear when it comes to the topic of evangelism. And so in the lead up to our month of evangelism this year, we're calling it Outreach October. Uh, We're looking at some of those things that might raise our anxiety levels to certain degrees when it comes to the idea of evangelism, because evangelism comes up in this church at least once a year. Now, there are many reasons why a Christian might fear evangelism. Uh, One website I came across this week had an article titled 18, 18 Common Fears of Evangelism. And so for the next three weeks, we're going to be looking at three of the top reasons uh, people might find fear when, regards, uh, when it comes to evangelism. And the first is the fear that we might stuff everything up. All right? well, what if I, if I don't have the right answers? What if I say the wrong thing? What if I can't explain the gospel properly? What if I offend them? Because you know, not only is this, this person's eternity at stake if I stuff everything up, Maybe I might dishonor my Lord in the process. Now, the goal for this series is not to dispel all fear. Uh, This passage tells us evangelism can be scary, all right? Uh, But, friends, here's the thing courage is not the absence of fear, it's the ability to overcome our fears because we realize something more important is at stake. Let me say that again. Courage is not the absence of fear, it is the ability to overcome our fears because we realise something more important is at stake. And I've got three points today to help us see uh, what is more important than the fear of potentially dishonouring God. Now this is uh, a topical sermon today so we're not going to be sort of working through the passage in a systematic way like we usually do. What I want to do is unpack the various aspects of Jesus' parable of the wedding banquet to see what he wants from his servants. So we're going to begin by looking at what we're invited to in this parable, which I've titled the banquet. Well, that's point one is the banquet. Next, we're going to see how we get in, which I'm titling the RSVP. And then finally, we're going to see how the call goes out, which I've titled the invitation. And this is where our application will be found today. But our application of overcoming our fears when it comes to invitation will Uh, Will basically be meaningless unless we first realise just how important the RSVP and the banquet actually are. So let's dive in and see how we can overcome our fear of messing everything up and potentially dishonouring God in our evangelism. So our passage today is Matthew 22. Begins with Jesus talking to them again in verse 1. Now, who is the them of verse 1? Well, if we go back to Matthew 21, verse 23, we find out that the them are the chief priests and the Jewish elders who came to question Jesus' authority. So they were saying, uh, Look, listen, we're the religious elite, Jesus. All right, we've spent decades studying God's word and obeying it in the strictest sense. We've earned the right to hold the most important positions in the Jewish religion. Who are you, Jesus, and what have you done uh, to give you the right to be called rabbi? And Jesus goes, hmm, all this talk about merits and about earning our position in the kingdom reminds me of a story about the kingdom. And he tells them this story in Matthew 22. So have a look at verse 2. The kingdom of heaven is like a king who prepared a wedding banquet for his son. Now, you don't need to be Edward Einstein, got your attention, didn't I, uh, to understand what this story is about, all right? So uh, the king is God, the son is Jesus, and the wedding banquet is the great party that happens at the end of time. So in Revelation 21, we're told that God's people will be presented to Jesus as his bride. And so the first thing we note about this banquet is who is throwing it? This isn't Mr and Mrs Jones from down the street, this is the king. And back in Jesus' day, the kings and queens were the rock stars of society. Like They didn't have access or celebrity chefs back then they didn't have uh, famous youtubers or social media influencers back then the king was the most famous person in the land and the person you wanted uh, to get close to and here he is opening up his palace for a huge banquet Right, so being invited to this banquet is like is like being invited to the Oscars or the Met Gala. It's like being invited to the royal box at Wimbledon or or to the White House for a state function. It is huge. The second thing we note is how lavish it is, right? It took a long time to prepare. So the king, he sends out invites telling people to save the date and to get ready, and then he starts making preparations. And those preparations were extravagant. You see, historians tell us that most people in Jesus' day ate meat very rarely during the year, only a couple of times a year, right? The staple diet was bread and veggies. But this king, he hasn't just killed the fattened calf, he has killed... What what we're told oxen and fattened calves all right this is a lavish feast and friends this is the first thing we need to understand when it comes to evangelism all right we're not inviting people to like cover themselves in honey and be tied up next to a bee's nest we're not inviting people uh, to invest their life savings with the friendly Nigerian banker I met on the internet. Okay? We're not even inviting people to come and sit through a boring church service with a weird minister. We're inviting people to the greatest event in history. We're inviting people to have their deepest longings and desires satisfied in full every day for the rest of eternity. Now, what makes this even more important is the alternative. Uh, in his fictional book, the, the Great Divorce, C.S. Lewis describes hell as a grim, joyless city called Greytown, where it rains every day, get this, even indoors. All right? And every day, people will move further and further out, and what they're doing is they're moving further and further away uh, from God's presence in heaven. And as they do that, they become increasingly bitter and despondent. And that's the alternative to the wedding banquet. Right? An eternity away from the warmth, uh, the warm presence of our loving and gracious Creator, where every day is more harsh and depressing than the last. Heaven, according to this book, is an eternity of moving closer and closer to the greatest being in existence where every day is even more joyful and fulfilling than the last. And that's what's at stake with evangelism. right? An eternity of debilitating pain and bitterness and incurable depression for our loved ones, or an eternity of endless joyful bliss. Now, brothers and sisters, the reason we struggle to overcome our fears of evangelism is because we don't focus on heaven and hell enough. Now, the reason we don't focus on heaven and hell is probably because it's too painful meditating on our loved ones suffering for all eternity. I mean, who who likes that image bouncing around in their head? But Jesus demands we think about it. Have a look at verse 13. The king told his attendants, tie him hand and foot and throw him outside into the darkness where there'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Uh, Jesus demands we think about hell. And the reason he demands that is because it is what helps us overcome our fears of evangelism and invite others to avoid that horrifying alternative themselves. So, That's the banquet. Uh, The next question is, how does one get into the party that ends all parties? Well, there's a couple of answers, a couple of stages to this question. So stage one is, you simply have to come. Have a look at verse three. Uh, He sent his servants to those who had been invited to the banquet to tell them to come, but they refused to come. Friends, the thing about heaven is, it's not compulsory. If you don't wanna to go to God's great banquet, then God's not gonna make you go to his banquet. All right, think about it this way. Uh, imagine someone is pursuing you romantically, but it's someone you don't think about in that way, all right? Uh, but after repeatedly being put in the friend zone, this person finally says to you, look, I'm just gonna make you love me. Now, is that the right thing to do? No. In the same way, God doesn't make anyone come to his banquet. To get into the banquet, you need to come. Uh, Sadly, these people chose not to. So have a look at verse 5. But they paid no attention and went off, one to his field, another to his business. So understand this. The reason most people reject God's banquet is because they think what they already have is better than God's banquet. They look at God's banquet and they say, Eh, I'd prefer sex and money and power. Or I'd prefer a trade and travel and true love. And so they refuse to come. But that's only stage one in getting to this party, uh, coming yourself. Stage two is you need to be properly dressed. Uh, so when the invitees refuse to come, we read this in verse 8. Then he said to his servants, The wedding banquet is ready, but those I invited did not deserve to come. So go to the street corners and invite them to the banquet, anyone you you find. So the servants went out to the streets and gathered all the people they could find, the bad as well as the good, and the wedding hall was filled with guests. Now, the phrase, uh, street corners, there in verse 9, likely refers to the crossroads of the city. It's It's that central section of the city where all the roads branch off into different directions. And what type of people would you find at the crossroads? All types, right? Everyone had to go through the crossroads at some point to go to somewhere else. And this is one of the truly magnificent aspects of the Christian gospel. It's open to anyone. Right? It doesn't matter how good or bad you are, or how old or young you are, what gender or ethnicity you are, whether you're rich or you're poor. all right? The gospel is open to everyone. And so everyone loves verses 8 to 10 of this passage because it's so inclusive. And that, that, that's what the gospel is. It's very inclusive. But then comes verses 11 and 12. Read that with me. But when the king came in to see the guests, he noticed a man there who was not wearing wedding clothes. He asked, how did you get in here without wedding clothes, friend? The man was speechless. Uh, Not everyone loves this bit of the parable. In fact, some commentators think that Jesus didn't originally say this, and it was added in later on. But it actually makes perfect sense of the gospel. You see, like weddings today, uh, you would get dressed up for weddings back then. I mean, imagine, you know, uh, someone coming to a wedding wearing thongs and a dirty singlet. It's it's a sign of disrespect, isn't it? But here's the thing. The people at this wedding banquet had literally been dragged in off the street uh, just, you know, moments before it started. Now, some of them may not have even owned dressy clothes, but even those who did didn't have time to go home and get changed. So where do they get their wedding clothes from? Well, the king must have provided it for them at the door. So yes, God lets anyone into his banquet the good, the bad and the ugly but He dresses them at the door. And herein lies the central tenet of the Christian gospel, and that is, no one gets into the wedding banquet wearing their own wedding clothes all right based on their own merit you remember uh, the chief priests and the elders back from matthew 21 23 they were saying to jesus look we've earned the right to be here and what jesus says even your greatest righteousness is not righteous enough to get into my banquet you need me to clothe you you see what happened at the cross was a cosmic substitution. Uh, you see, Jesus took all our sin, all our unrighteousness, and he placed it upon himself. But at the same time, he took all of his righteousness and placed it upon us. Right? We sing about this very fact at our church. When the last trumpet call shall sound, may I then in him be found, clothed in his righteousness alone faultless to stand before the throne and this is the only way our friends and family and loved ones are able to avoid the eternity of suffering it is by understanding that their wedding clothes their good works their religious deeds will not get them into the wedding banquet of the lamb the RSVP for heaven is not based on merit it's based on grace We need Jesus to clothe us. So, the wedding banquet of the king is the only place to be in all of eternity, and the only way to get there is to come and be dressed in Jesus' righteousness. The final aspect of this parable I want us to think about today is the invitation. And the reason the invitation is so important is because no one who who does come to the banquet without being invited. Right? No one gets into God's banquet without being invited. Now, it is God who writes the invitations. We need to remember that. So in the end, uh, the people who reject the invitation, they're not actually rejecting those who give the invitation. They're rejecting God. They're rejecting his banquets. And that should be uh, at least a little comforting uh, to us if we are hand- handing out these, these invitations. But although it's God who writes the invitations, he calls his servants to hand them out. Now, who are these servants in the parable? Well, look, one could argue they're referring to angels, okay? But nowhere in Scripture do we ever read of angels being mistreated or killed, uh, like in verse 6. Now, the servants, according to this parable, are disciples. Right? God has given the role of handing out his invitations to Christians, to you and me. Now, we could, we could sort of argue about this and go, well, well why, God? Why did you, you give us uh, such a hard and at times dangerous job? Like, wh- why, can't, why can't you just speak to people directly, all right? Why can't you give, you know, your elect uh, visions or, or dreams uh, and, and just, just prompt them to walk into church off the street? Well... The answer is God does do that from time to time. All right, So in Acts chapter 10, he sends Cornelius a vision. But even then, that vision told him to send for Peter so that Peter could come and hand him an invitation. See, for reasons known only to God, God has chosen that the main way people come to his banquet is through being invited by one of his servants. Now we cannot rule out that God might use other ways, but in something like 99.9% of the time people only come to God's banquet by being handed an invitation by one of his disciples. All right, The reason you RSVP'd to God's banquet is because another Christian told you about Jesus. And to be perfectly honest folks, I don't think there has ever been uh, an easier time in human history to invite people to come and hear about Jesus. So so, uh, to, to begin with, A global pandemic means that people are thinking about the big issues in life, aren't they? Uh, They're thinking about how we're not in control of this planet, about how my elderly loved ones are going to survive this thing, about how maybe we need God in times such as this, and about what God might be doing to allow a virus like this to to spread. Now look, we can't be 100% sure as to why God has allowed COVID-19 to to take over, but what we do know in scripture is that the main reason God sends calamities is to prompt people to turn to him and people are lining up right now to hear about Jesus we have over a dozen people coming to our Christianity Explain course this term that's a record we're praying uh, that'll hopefully be more next term right never in our generation has it been so easy to talk about the big issues in life so let me give you uh, <clears throat> something practical we can do in the next week or two, right? So if you find yourself talking to a non-Christian in the coming weeks, ask them what they think about this, this two-tiered system that the government seems to be introducing uh, between only allowing vaccinated people to go out and about. Ask them what they think about that. And then say, hmm, yeah, our church is thinking about how we're going to deal with this as well because we don't want to be turning people away. And then ask them again, what do you think about that? Right? Simple. The second reason it's never been easier to invite people is because all we can invite them to, at the moment, is to watch a YouTube video. Right? You cannot get a softer invite than that. We're not inviting them to leave their house or to walk into a strange environment full of strange people who are uh, a little too interested in meeting them. All, right? uh, all we're doing is inviting them to watch a 25-minute video on YouTube from the privacy of their own home and, and let us know what you think about it. So here, again, is something else we can do practical for Outreach October. Right? So if we find ourselves in a conversation about church, uh, ask if you can send them an email or a text with a link to our church's latest sermon. Right? Uh, so look, if you've got a spare half hour or 25 minutes, I'd love for you to watch this and just let me know what you think. And then you send them the link to one of our Outreach October sermons, preferably the one uh, you've watched yourself. All right, It's that simple. Now, we don't have to get them to watch the video. That's up to God. Our job is to simply hand out the invitation. And there are three things I want us to keep in mind about this as we close. Three quick things. So the first is, it's pretty hard to stuff up, handing something uh, out as simple as an invitation. God is not expecting the impossible from us. All right? You and I cannot convert people, Right? remember that, that, that's God's job. The job he's given his servants is to simply invite people to come and hear about Jesus. Secondly, because God is sovereign, he is in control of the entire process. And what that means is, even if you and I accidentally send someone a link to like a a promotional video for the KKK, for example, all right, well, imagine we say something a little crazy like, oh, Jesus is my vaccination, okay, God will use those bumbling actions to bring about his good purposes anyway. We cannot actually mess up God's plans. We're not that influential, you and me. So that's the second thing. But thirdly, the bigger issue is not whether we're going to mess up. It's actually not handing the invitations out in the first place. See, yes, it's scary handing out God's invitations, as verse 6 tells us. But that is the task God has called his servants to. And what this means is, it's not stuffing up the invitation that actually dishonours God. He uses our mistakes. What dishonours God is choosing not to hand out the invitations in the first place? So friends, may we continue to focus on heaven and hell, to help us with our fears, so that we will invite everyone to come and be clothed by Jesus.